Welcome to We're All Gonna Die and Other Fun Facts, a semi-regular, occasionally amusing, and rarely funny series of conversations on a random topic. This episode is entitled Renaissance Gem, and it is about, well, someone who does all the things, I think, at this point. Are you doing all the things, Jim? Many, maybe not all of them, but all, most of them. You do a lot of things. You do a lot of things. And so it's about Jim Fair. And our guest for this episode is someone who knows something. I mean, I hope you're you're, you're self-aware, right? Um, painfully so. Painfully so, aren't we? And, you know, again, there's always that thing at the end of Bull Durham when they talk about Nuke. When Susan Sarandon talks about Nuke and says, you know, it's not there's a world holds a world the world holds a special place for those people not cursed with self-awareness yes not me though <laughs> me neither so hi welcome to the podcast Jim. how are you um i'm lovely thank you for having me um yeah it's so sunny out today and i had my window open like all morning so i'm in a great mood yeah no the, the this it's it is february 9th so that is the earth screaming for help. It truly is. But it's it false. is lovely. I keep telling myself it's just false spring. There's always a false mm-hmm. spring and a false yes. fall if you live in Pittsburgh. So I'm like a in an ideal world where climate change isn't destroying our planet. It will be winter next week. Um, but we'll see. It is going to snow Monday night. See, there you go. This is just classic false spring. Yes, classical. I'm totally going for a walk after this. Yes. So, so, yes. So, yeah. So, I don't know. Where do we begin? Because you do do almost all of the things. So, let me see if I'm getting all of this right. So, so there's writing both sort of creative. Well, not sort of creative. You have a chapbook of poetry. Journalistic. So, you have written for Pitchfork. Indeed. Recently, you've written for many other publications in the city in the past. True. True. Uh, you recently, uh, not recently, well, I don't know, times are irrelevant to me. I don't know. Sometime in the past, I remember seeing a post about your solo projects, Space Buns Forever, mm-hmm. recently. that's So that has been resurrected. Uh, the front man of positive thinking Mm -hmm. which at some point we'll have to have that band on and talk about the strange phenomenon of male fronted hardcore truly nothing (laughs) hyper masculine about hardcore at all not even a drummer for big baby yes um do a great spotify podcast music podcast called a dog with a mullet Mm mm-hmm you also do I've, a visual art and flyers for shows. True. I'm probably missing stuff, aren't I? Um, I think the only thing you missed is playing second base in Larval State. Oh, why did I forget Larval State? There are a lot of us. It's easy to lose track. <laughs> <laughs> it would be easier to remember I was in that band if it wasn't a six-person family band. Um. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. Wow, how did I forget Marvel State? Wow. And then, um, it's, I think that's it, really. I mean, occasionally I, I book shows, but I don't... It's never because I want to. It's because karma is important and real. And mm-hmm. uh, I try to help other people out as much as I can, even if 
it makes me go gray. I understand that completely and no judgment about the gray hairs. Thankfully, this is it, just honestly. an audio podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I got my head buzzed this week and it was just like, I was like, wow, there's, there's not a lot of, my hair used to be jet jet black like yours. It was yeah. great. Oh, the gray is coming, Gone. don't worry. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. So the question I ask everybody who does more than one thing, this mm-hmm. is the question. Do you feel like these different creative forms exercise either different parts of your brain or different parts of your personality? Or is there a way that you realize that certain projects, certain mediums manifest certain things that you couldn't do in the other other medium? I feel like a lot of times just like on a practical level especially with like making flyers and like doing visual art type stuff kind of like that artistic muscle almost gets flexed out of necessity because it's just easier and more efficient if I book a show or if I'm playing a show to be like oh yeah well I'm thinking about this anyway I'll make a flyer um and so I think that like the photography aspect of things that I do, especially like taking my Instax to shows and stuff, has kind of come from almost like yeah, a we already of... forgot something. We oh, I didn't even something. The Instax. <laughs> I didn't even think about that either. But like, yeah, like I think that that's a holdover from the creative, or I guess like I don't know. I think journalism can be creative, just like I think archival work can be creative, and journalists are essentially like first line archivists, or that's the way I approached that work and so the camera at shows and just like trying to keep track of things is almost like a symptom of being a journalist for so long um but like musically I feel like it's like uh each of my projects are different enough that it scratches like a different itch or challenges me in a different way Um, the solo project is the thing that I've been doing the longest. And honestly, like there is, um, are you familiar with the band title fight? Oh yeah. Okay. So Ned, formerly a title fight, now glitterer, uh, has written pretty extensively at this point about how he feels like propelled to create like this, like innate drive to make art make music and that's something like I definitely relate to and Space Buns Forever was my first like because I played drums in a band in high school for six years uh, from like beginning end of middle school beginning of high school to my like second year of college I think but this solo project came at the end of that because I just was like so mentally unwell that like I had to put that energy somewhere (laughs) and so I put two low E strings on a guitar because I don't know how to play a guitar. And I just started playing, writing and playing shows of Space Buns Forever. So that one I've been doing for a really long time. And that one only comes out when it needs to. So like I won't write for a really long time and then I'll be like going through it or like this last time that I wrote a batch of songs, like I got dumped. So I was like, well, got to put this somewhere uh which it's nice because it was cathartic to write those songs and um 
I'm not even sure like what I'll do with them at this point if I want to like flesh them out into like a full band type thing or if I'm just going to like, you know, demo the rest of them out. But with everything else, yeah, I feel like it's like um, I keep finding new projects that push me to learn and grow in different ways. And I like I'm like kind of addicted to it. Like, I, I can't just chill. I think that's very clear from the list of things that I do. Chilling is um, a near impossible task for me. So. Yeah, I can totally relate to that. I could totally relate to. I mean, what is it? I mean, is it just. It's almost sometimes I think about like my own consciousness and my own brain as like. You know, all these things can't die with me. Yeah. You know, it's like people on a, my thoughts are like sailors on a submarine. And it's like, yes. this thing goes down, you know, but if it's written down somewhere, if it's recorded, yes, if it's been captured in some way. That is like, definitely, I think, and for me, I think that is a part of it. I think like, at least because there aren't a ton of pictures of me necessarily but I take so many pictures and I always joke that I'm like the archivist of my friend group but there is kind of that piece of it because like I do have this like thought in my brain like one day some like weird teenagers are going to be going through the Goodwill bins and they're going to find my shoebox of Instax pictures and they're going to be like what was this called you know what I mean <laughs> and so I feel <laughs> like I feel like there is kind of a, a part of it that's like you know these like physical artifacts of us living beings will will be there be heard or be seen in the future and like maybe it's teenagers or maybe it's some like anthropologist or sociologist or whatever but whoever it is like they'll find it and they'll like make a little reality out of it out of it themselves so i think that's fascinating and i think there's also you know i love what you said about the idea of journalists being frontline archivists and i'm and immediately i'm tripping on that piece you wrote for Pitchfork on Feeble Little Horde. That it was like, this is a time, this is a place. That venue got shut down, right? Um, They don't do shows anymore, I think. I don't know if they moved out or if they just were like, mm. you know. We're done with this or somebody called somebody mean. and <laughs> Yeah. yeah. It's, it's like, <laughs> and it's, then it's, were told it's to a stop younger, or... it's a, a slightly younger generation of people. So I feel like I don't, I feel like I don't know much scuttlebutt but I also am like one of those people who like the Oakland house show world is like meant to be very transitory and brief I feel like um just by the nature of like who lives in that neighborhood um yeah. it's much easier to have like a thing like 222 Ormsby could have this kind of longevity because it was like out in the suburbs and it had a rotating cast of like not college kids living there um mm -hmm. whereas like in Oakland, hypothetically, most people aren't going to live in a house for, you know, more than two years. They're either going to move cities or they're going to move further out because I feel like once you graduate from college, you maybe don't want to be around other college kids anymore. Who knows? But uh, yeah. I I think that, I mean, I they definitely did other shows at the, at the deli after that show, but I, that, like, was a very... Uh, it it showed that like the ceiling, you know, like no, mm -hmm. no, this event was perhaps too large to have at this place. Mm. Um, and yeah, I mean, getting to write that pitchfork piece, I think, was really important because 
I, I just, I feel like, especially with them, there's just this like weird thing happening where like Pittsburgh is always just like right on the cusp of being like recognized as like a, a place of culture and like a place where like art and interesting things are happening. Um, but it's also like historically like a band's band city. So like you have bands that are here that have notoriety, but primarily they like don't ever receive a lot of like external attention. So to have a band that kind of is like a synthesis of a bunch of other like bands bands in Pittsburgh, whether they intended to be or not, be in a place where they're like on a label not based in Pittsburgh and then also like I don't know their first show back since they canceled their tour is like fucking Coachella. You know what I mean? So it's like that shit doesn't yeah. happen. Um we yeah. have a we've we've got a cat trying to involve himself oh, in the interview. Love it. Um, yeah, which is it is for always for me this interesting push push pull. Like we live our lives, everything is temporary, nothing lasts, memento mori, and all of that. But then, yeah, that you know, somebody should write this stuff down. Somebody should take a picture, create an archive, and yeah, of this kind of stuff. You're right. Those venues just come and they go. And it is nice that though, it is nice that there is some kind of record. Yeah. And I'm glad that I got in when I did, right? Because now mm -hmm. I don't have a single contact at Pitchfork. <laughs> Every person I talk mm -hmm. to at Pitchfork has been laid off. So it's like, oh, that's right. Oh, it's, yeah. it's like fate, you know, that that happened when it did and i mean it happened because i the person who tapped me to write the story is someone who i you know met through the college radio station because she was there a couple years before me and when i was like fresh out of college and music editor at the city paper we ended up like i was in new york funny enough for a wrestling show and we ended up meeting up for like brunch and this was in like 20 Oh, I don't know, like 2017, 2018. And we had a really long conversation and she was just like so helpful and thoughtful and like gave me so much time. And, you know, over the years we kept in touch and like she had was going to be in town and had, you know, been like, oh, we should get coffee. And we did. And it was really nice. And while we were talking, she was asking me about Pittsburgh music. And of course, I was going off about all the Pittsburgh music stuff and just talking about how much I really you know, appreciated Feeble Little Horse for all of the reasons that I talk about in the article. And she was like, mm, you should probably be the one to write about this. <laughs> like you, you have a, a knowledge that someone parachuting in from Brooklyn, LA, wherever is not going to have, like you have a context here that other people don't have. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, that's a really interesting, that's a really interesting point about Pittsburgh music. I um, still my own massive hoard or archive or if you look beyond my shoulder this like that's a tenth of my book collection mm -hmm. in fact be over looking over my shoulder um i've been trying to complete a set of cmj new music monthlies oh, and yeah. i have the first 120 issues of that magazine out of 154 and one of the most recent finds was the January 94 edition, which called Pittsburgh 1994, the year of the alternative nation 
of the post Nirvana major label spending spree where no one had any sense. They just knew that, you know, every band that ever played in the basement is the next big moneymaker. Right. Called Pittsburgh the sleeper scene of the country. And then. And there it stayed. It's made it. Yeah. Yes. And it stayed, it stayed the sleeper city. <laughs> yes. It's so weird, but. And the other thing what you just said reminds me of is a part of my, now that I'm very gray and very middle-aged, very old, I can start just giving unsolicited advice to young people. It's Bring just, it you get this license. And it is this thing. It's like, once you do get to a certain level or a certain you put yourself out there enough. The net you either become then the person who helps make things happen, mm -hmm. or you are in league with the people who make things happen. Yes. And for young people who want to be creative and who want this life, sometimes that leap seems so impossible. I wish that I I feel like when people ask me, like, oh, how did you do this or how did you do this? I literally am like. I, I'm like, I just was around. I just, I just was around. Like I was around and I didn't shut the fuck up. Those are like the two, those are like the two things. Like, I don't know how to not talk to people. And I also don't like, I just go to things. And the more you go to things, the more people recognize you and you can kind of like find ways. And also just like being someone who's like, how can I help? Yeah. Like, yeah. And, you know, it's funny. It's like, I love the life that I live. I also recognize that I could have like a much easier, chiller, like, like, you know what I mean? Like I could have picked a much more conventional, chill, predictable life, but that's not what I wanted. Um, yeah. And I accept the challenges that come <laughs> with this kind of, you know, being propelled to create and do all the time. So let's talk about let's talk about the other bands. Let that let's talk about I guess in and maybe we should just go by seniority. Yeah. Let's talk about Big Baby. So so what is Big Baby? Big. And what part of your brain does Big Baby exercise? Your brain or your personality gets out playing um, drums in Big Baby. Okay, so Big Baby is like so chaotic and magical. It's like very fun to be in a sort of like psychedelic skate punk band, I guess I would describe it as um, skate punk. You really by... do write for you really did write for Pitchfork. I mean, that is that is the perfect pitch. Psychedelic skate punk It's like, yeah, we got it. Like that's like I when people ask, I'm like, uh, I don't know. We all like weed and hallucinogens and we like to play fast um but big baby has been a ton of fun and they played a couple shows before i joined the band they had a drum machine i remember that yes and then punky had posted like on you know their story or whatever like oh hey like we actually would like to uh, a drummer and it just so happened that like right around that time stuff was kind of slowing down with this other project I was playing in um and so I was like well that that would be fun um so I offered and I you know it went well and then 
since then we've all just become such really good friends and like big baby is very much like uh in addition to the satisfaction that i get like writing music that's really fun to play i also think it particularly scratches the like family band emotional dynamic because we are all so close and supportive of each other and it is very like it just is a very safe and fun environment um and it's kind of funny because I've been a drummer forever and so I don't like think I don't know in everything that I do it's important to know that like even though I do a lot of things I don't actively think about like oh I'm part of these things it's like oh I just work here like, I, I feel like I'm, like, stocking shelves at Giant Eagle. You know what I mean? Like, I love mm -hmm. doing it, but I'm, like, oh, just, like, I'm just here. So I'm always, like, whoa, people perceived me doing that. Um, And I've discovered that probably the most, like, unin like, uninhibited version of myself comes out when I'm playing drums because I'm just, like, so, like, it's – people have told me it is expressive – and it's like an in, it's an involuntary expression. Like I'm not thinking about what I'm doing. I'm just like in it. Wow. So that yeah, that's what Henri Bergson. But Bergson kind of was like you know he was also one of those people like you know what else is cool fascism. But but his idea of time is kind of fascinating. In that most of the time we are living in memory. Mm -hmm except for when we are doing something phys deeply physical. Mm -hmm. And that's the only time we might truly be in the present. Yeah. Which speaks to me as someone who's usually lost in other people's brains, let alone my own. <laughs> it is. I do truly feel like so I am, I am being here now when I'm playing drums. <laughs> so. It's fantastic. And so then next by seniority is positive thinking, correct? Yes. All right. So. Positive thinking is funny because I didn't have any intent to front a band. And then uh, Chris and Baker and Billy had written a bunch of songs and they were looking for someone to do vocals. And Chris was like, you should do it. You should do the vocals. You should do the vocals. And I was like, oh, I don't I don't really do that. I don't know. I don't know what I'll sound like. I've never done that kind of music before. And so... Uh, I was like, whatever, I'll try. I'll give it a try. And if I don't like it, then I won't do it. But I'll challenge myself to get out of my comfort zone a little bit and we'll see how it goes. Mm. Um, And it has been really nice to, again, it's just like a band of people who are fun and chill and sweet and very supportive. And uh, it gives me like a platform to write more like overtly political art because I feel like I was very drawn to hardcore and punk from a political angle because my organizing came before me getting into punk and so it's like a, a fun space to play with that um but it is like interesting because it is like before we play I'm like sick because I just like I'm not used to being out front like I I've spent most of my life behind being like a tiny guy behind a bunch of drums so you can like barely see me back there so I'm having fun I'm going wild but like I'm not front and center um but yeah positive thinking's like 
weird like it's a very eclectic i feel like hardcore punk sound um we just call it weird hardcore because it doesn't exactly like sound just like one thing or another um i don't know you've seen us play so i feel like it's harder for me to define what we do I think, yeah, I think the, the the idea of eclectic hardcore, I mean, again, I can't come up with a pitchfork phrase for it, but I think eclectic hardcore, eclectic social justice hardcore, that's the best pitchfork phrase I could come up with. Yeah, it's funny, too, because sometimes I'll, like, show everyone the lyrics and I'll be like, is this, like, I don't want to be corny. I have things to say, but I don't want to be mm -hmm. corny. And it can be really hard when you're being earnest to not come across in a way that people will be like, like, but I'm not going to put things in metaphors also. So I'm like, okay, I'm just going to say what I mean when I'm saying what I mean. Like, does this come across as someone who's like thought about this for more than five seconds? Or is it mm -hmm. like I'm 15 and I just listened to dead Kennedys for the first time? <laughs> yeah, but I mean, isn't that the thing about the form of hardcore? I mean, you know, it's that it's that, you know, the Jimmy Rose quote from the eel mind cure singles, which that YouTube video changed my life when he was like, and hardcore is just English is just the stupidest song language. And I like hardcore because you don't notice how stupid the lyrics are until the chorus. And I think there is something about that. I think there is something deeply appealing about that. And there are plenty of times for metaphor. I mean, mm -hmm. one of the other things that in my progeny old manness as it's as it keep peeping into my life is like, you know what? There, 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 yeah, there's a time for metaphor. You can write poetry. Poetry mm -hmm. is the perfect place for metaphor. You kind of need it over there. Mm -hmm. And maybe hardcore lyrics, maybe not. <laughs> you know, and you can right. just express this direct expression direct you know transition on demand full stop period yep that's the idea yeah and i i think it has been really liberating to have a platform where i can just be like yeah this is how i fucking feel and we recorded an album and i'm like really excited to be able to share it with people and we have like a new song that we haven't played out live yet that we recorded for it that I feel like it's just like the the kind of like the pinnacle of what positive thinking is for me and the hook is like if you've got a platform but nothing to say pass the microphone and walk away because I feel like we do anyone who has a microphone in their hand right now it doesn't have to be the only thing you're saying, but like if you're in front of a crowd, like fucking say something about anything. Like you don't have to say something about yeah. everything, but you should say something about anything at all. Um, and I have found like that apathy to be a little bit frustrating in wow. punk and hardcore on the whole. There are definitely people who are like taking up that torch and like, you know, organizing and making music all over. And I don't want to diminish their work, but like popular hardcore right now is not necessarily the stuff that's like capitalism should be crushed and fascism is bad <laughs> and yeah. uh like if you fuck with my trans friends i'll stomp your ass like <laughs> that's just like not really yeah. what's at the forefront right now um 
not that the people writing what's popular don't feel that way. It's just like not the content of their lyrics. Yeah, that makes perfect sense, which then brings us to Larval State. Oh, yeah. The the family band, the not a cult, the but not not a cult. <laughs> so when will the Netflix docuseries about Larval State be? God, who knows? Uh, after we were... After we record an album, when we're like locked together in like John Hoffman's uh like Mason Lodge studio and all go fully crazy, that's when <laughs> that's when it'll come out. Um, but yeah, Larval State was just this like weird psychedelic sky like you know, psychedelic rock type band. And I think a lot of us, we have a lot of different influences. Um but it also was like uh almost like a like a happy coincidence because the people in Larval State, it's just like kind of our core friend group. So it just so happened that Rain was like, Oh, well, you're learning to play bass. And I thought it would be crazy to be in a band where like Steve plays bass and there's another bass system like you could play. And like assigning us jobs, basically, like, okay, and then Punky plays drums and then Lee was like, oh, well, if you want someone to play guitar, I'll play guitar. Uh, and at that point, Max had already been in the fold as well. Rain was like, yeah, and Max will do noise stuff. Um, and then you have like the unofficial other members of like Lindsay and Gigi who will like sometimes just be kicking it at practice, like playing video games with earplugs in um, and like be like, oh, that sounds cool. Or like, what if you try this? Um, and so... Yeah, I feel like Larval State has been really fun because it it is very weird and collaborative. And the part of my brain that it really pushes is that, like, I'm so used to being in a band where, like, two and a half minutes for a song is long. So to write a song that's, like, almost eight minutes long feels, like, illegal. That's great. Yeah, it is. So I'm having my poetry workshop students read Richard Hugo's The Triggering Town, mm -hmm. which is this, it's just this fascinating craft book because it's more autobiography than like, there is some straight up advice on how to write poems, but really that's what I do and you should do. And one of the things he talks about, you know, is this idea of like, once you start to create something, and I think for me, like writing is this such, such this singular personal, like I've, I've had to cultivate a group of first readers because I'm like, am I too far into my own head or is this actually still makes mm -hmm. sense versus making art with other people mm -hmm. that no matter what, eventually the thing that you start to create does almost take on its own agency. Mm -hmm. Yes. And what does it mean to be like, oh, I'm making this thing and this thing is telling me no. Yeah, like literally it's like a living being. Like we'll be wow. playing a song, like rehearsing a song and like we have this like loose structure and then like all of a sudden, like for example, when we recorded the demos, like we were playing um, Dead is Sticky and when we came back from the kind of like freak out part, for some reason, Punky played it in like halftime. They'd never played that end part that slow before, but it's just like what felt like it needed to happen. And because we're like this, 
living, breathing organism of a band rather than stop and be like, oh, we got to try this take again. We just like went with it. And then we really liked it. And then that's how we've been playing it live since. But it was just like, again, it's like, it's almost like roller skating, like doing a trick when you're roller skating. Like, it's not like skateboarding where you can jump off of the skateboard if you're like, oh, shit, I got to bail out of this. Like, for whatever reason, being in larval state, it's like, no, you can't bail. You just have to go with it. Like, that's the skates are on your feet. The wheels are attached to you. You keep going because that's what you have to fucking do. Um and I don't know why it feels that way, but it does. And it, it feels like thrilling, honestly. Like it doesn't feel like it almost is like, yeah, it just feels very freeing to be able to create in that way. Which I guess is the other thing. I, you know, it's just there's, there's like there's some people that are just wild souls. Mm -hmm. And like. Especially at this moment in, and it's not just, I think, American history, it's world history. Like, everybody, in one way or another, is going through this moment where, or maybe this is me just being a pre-9-11 kid, but, like, freedom felt like a guarantee. Mm -hmm. Like, it was just this unspeakable matter of fact. And it seems... For, to a lot of us, like we're always aware of the limits mm -hmm. now or that those limits could get tighter. Oh, yeah. Or that we're constantly hitting a ceiling. And yeah, what does it mean to be a creative person who always wants to truly make art through taking risks? It's so it's crazy that you say that, too, because I I feel like myself and so many people close to me who create are creating because we feel like we're on borrowed time. Like, I have to freak it now because everything is like collapsing and falling apart around us. And like, we're hopeful that in the collapse, you know, flowers will grow from concrete. Like we, like there's a better, yeah. a better, more optimistic world on the other side of it. But I do think that it's like, well, we have to do all this shit now because like, I don't know, is like art going to be made illegal in two years, three years? Like is, is writing anything outside of proud to be an American, like going to get you on like a list and like, there's already an FBI file about me, so it doesn't matter. But like, it's just like, yeah, I think there is this kind of like, we all know we're more aware of the fact, I think both like we're more aware of time and more aware of like the impermanence of any kind of reality we're living in and how it could change. So it's like, yeah, you just got to do it now because if you don't do it now, you might not get to it or like who knows what it's going to look like. Um, and it feels freeing too because like nothing feels too weird. You know what I mean? Like, so many people are have reached like the fuck it stage of acceptance um, that I think that a lot of people are like, yeah, the world is insane. So I'm going to listen to this like weird kind of off putting music because it feels like fun and strange. And it's, you know, I don't know, it's just like something to engage in. Um, but yeah, I was like, I was just thinking about this because I. I'm starting to meet people who were born in the post 9-11 reality and like 
I was a kid. I was in first grade when 9-11 happened. But like, I distinctly remember like life before 9-11 and life after 9-11. Um, and so it, 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 it is interesting. Like, I don't know, my little subconscious, like mind was like, this is the beginning of the end of all things. You know, it really was. So I graduated college in 1999. Okay. And so it was like, for me, it's always like, that's the last time the world made sense. Cause I was just really figuring out adulthood. And I mm -hmm. literally like, I had moved to Pittsburgh. I'd been in Pittsburgh for like 11 months or something mm -hmm. like that when that happened. And I think about, yeah, my life before 9-11 was preparing me for an adulthood in a world that immediately no longer existed. Fuck. That would be like, just fuck. <laughs> yeah, no, it has fucked me up really badly. And now, yeah, meeting, having post 9-11 students. I mean, I have one returning adult student this year who was already in the military when 9-11 happened. Damn. And like literally he tells the story of like they turned the boat around. They were coming home and they're like, nope. And like, yeah. They can't see, but I'm just gripping my forehead and fear and fright. Yeah. No, I mean, it's that. And you see of like what's happening in Palestine mm -hmm. and the Ukraine and thinking about what might happen in Taiwan. And like, I really didn't want a World War II experience. Like, you know, you watch those European oh. movies about the idea of like refugees and this idea of like, you know, trying to like get food for dinner in a war zone or what's it going to be like to like you have to delay the guards so that your friends have more time to run yeah like and thinking like and yeah it does feel like oh we're, we're this this could be so what i'm trying to say is the cooler title maybe for this this or the, maybe the one that doesn't put so much owner owners on you title for it would have been like the soundtrack to the old world dying or something would have been there you go <laughs> There you go. That would have been the title of this thing, but maybe somebody can make a hard hardcore record called the soundtrack to the old world dying. Cause I think that needs to come out. That needs to already have been written. Yeah, very much. So, uh, just to reveal, reveal how, how that is very relevant to me, uh, to my left, I have like a cork board with a bunch of like pictures and things hung up. And like, I have one, which is like a piece of art for my friend that says Poco Poco, like little by little, you know, change. We're dismantling the thing every day, but I have this um, AK Press print up there that just says, um, like, listen, can you hear it? A change is coming. Uh, and it's just, like, always been a tenant of, like, the way I approach, like, change is coming, so... I'm really depressed about this coming election, but then I also think neither of those guys are going to be alive in 2030. No. And maybe I will. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Unless it's a complete dystopian hellscape, then, you know. I just, I keep being like, there's like a running joke in our group of friends that's like, oh, worried about your credit score? Don't worry, the economy won't be around for much longer. <laughs> it's just like, you know, I, it's just, 
it's I feel like there's a lot of people I think about this in particular. There was a review of MS Paint's Post-American or like an interview. I can't remember. But in it, they talk about how they felt like the album had like kind of like darker themes about, you know, society. And I was like, oh, this is a person who like can't imagine that there's a better world possible because when I listen to MS Paint, I am picturing this different world. Like Post American mm -hmm. is not a song where I'm like, oh, dystopia, like here it comes. Like, no, it is a liberating thought to like burn all the flags and the symbols of man. Like, yes, we can live yeah. in a world without nationalism. We can live in a world that we are like stewards to the earth and we like live here like I, and so I just thought that was so fascinating because, I mean, it really does just depend on how how you look at things. If you're, like, comfy and you like your little Amazon deliveries every day and you don't mind having a credit score and being constantly surveilled by Mark Zuckerberg and the FBI and shit, then, like, yeah, you're going to be like, damn, it would be so fucked if this whole thing fell apart. But so many of us are so are used to living as, like, working people or poor people and we're just like, if this thing fucking goes sideways, who cares? Like, it can't be worse for us than it is right now. You know, that would have been a great sentiment to end on and go to the bottom five, but we still have to talk about the podcast. Shit. <laughs> Shit. Um, okay, so this is, uh, you're going to get the scoop. Okay. Um, right now, Dog with a Mullet is a bootleg radio show that I literally made because I was like, oh, man, I miss being a part of college radio so much. Um, and I'm too lazy to learn and do all the training and stuff to be at WPTS or. Uh, why is it escaping you? What's RCT? WRCT? Yeah, WRCT. Um, and like take a test like I'm just going to find a way to do this myself. And so at the time. Spotify had this thing called Anchor that's now Spotify for podcasters, which is like also going to become something else now. Like, it's just psychotic anyway. Um, but I just really wanted to do a bootleg radio show. And then I have a couple times, like a handful of times I've had friends come on and share music that they're into um, because it's just like I love I listen to a lot of different music. I like sharing it. Um, but as I discovered today. When I was assembling the next episode of Dog with a Mullet, they are discontinuing the platform that I use to make the podcast. So the music and talk no. function goes away on in June this year. So hypothetically, this was my fourth to last radio episode. Um, but my pivot is perfectly timed because I just interviewed Ed Hockley. That interview will come out this month and I'm doing an interview this afternoon that will come out in March. And so I'm just going to pivot to talking to people about music and art and probably wrestling and whatever insane shit I find, you know. Um, and so I think that, uh, yeah, I think that it will just have to change and adapt. I could do it cruel noise style, but, you know, I liked having my easy cheater way of doing a podcast so we also forgot about enjoy wrestling and your life as a ring announcer well yeah i guess i do that also 
<laughs> See, this is me being but, like, so, I don't do anything. And then I'm like, oh, shit, I guess I do a lot of things. That you do. You're a true renaissance gem. And that, again... So the other thing is I realize now, like, so whenever I post these episodes on the website... Yeah. And now I think the description does transfer to, like, the platforms... I put links to everything so that everybody can find something. And I'm like, that's his list now on my form. And it's like, man, I don't know if I'm posting this episode today. Listen, I gave you too much work. And then put him in there. I just want to go for a walk when I stop recording. But don't worry, it's going to be up soon. Here's the thing. You go for that walk. Things happen when they happen. That's the anarchist philosophy. Okay. You know, there's no, no urgency. When it feels right, it'll happen. <laughs> That's great. And you know what? I'm going to buy a book because then if society collapses, I'll at least have all the media. There you go. I mean, I'm ready for a world after electricity, maybe. I have so many books that I can just... Yeah. I was so ready for the pandemic in this house. Like, I realized when they was like, you can't leave your house. And I looked around at all of all of the collections of things uh-huh. that I have. And I was like, I've been preparing for this my whole life. You're like, I'm ready to be entertained in my home. Yes, I'm ready to try and stop me. Yes, and not go out there. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So we have that. So on that happy note, it's time for the bottom five. Yeehaw. The bottom five is a series of questions not related to our main topic that are of a surrealistic and or philosophical nature. And the first bottom five question is the question everybody gets when they're on the podcast for the first time are you ready i'm ready never been more if reincarnation is real and you had to come back as an infectious disease or illness what kind of disease or illness would you be okay so i've um thought about this and i think if i came back as an infectious disease i would want to come back as like See, I have like a bunch of autoimmune issues. And so I I like think the ones that make your body go all sorts of fucking crazy ways uh, is are interesting, but they're not often infectious. Usually it's just like your body. So I had to like think outside mm. the box because the diseases I'm usually thinking about are like ones that are not contagious. Um, but I think that as karmic retribution for never letting myself chill the fuck out i probably would come back as um what is it called the kissing one the one mono mono i would come back as mono because mono forces you to sit the fuck down and sleep and i never did that so that would be like me mm. coming, but that that would be the that would be the karmic cycle the reincarnation that would be me teaching a lesson to others that I needed to learn. It's oh, a great answer. That is a great answer. Wow. We're, got, we're off to a strong start. Question two. It's an either or question. Mm-hmm. The binary. You had to choose. Would you welcome the total elimination of day or night? Mm. If the earth stops spinning, would you hope yes. to be on the day side or the night side? I'm going day side because I'm going to be honest. I can fall asleep under any circumstances. Oh. I'm built different. 
Yeah. And in the daytime, there's just like so much external like beauty and stimulation. And also part of me is like, if it was always daylight, you could you could like build your own schedule. Time would be even more irrelevant. Like you wouldn't have the thing like, oh, oh shit, I just got off work. I only have like three hours of daylight before the sun goes down. Boom, it's daytime all the time. You could just like work whenever. And then it would just be so much more chaotic, I feel like, if it was daytime all the time. Um, So I'm going mm. chaos mode, daytime all the time. Hardcore matinees all the time. Exactly. Literally. <laughs> exactly. All right, question three. You're doing so good. We're almost halfway. Name, and this is more prompt than a question. Mm -hmm. Name a film world you would like to visit or live in permanently. If you could gumby your way into a DVD or a Netflix stream, what film world would you like to visit? Or if you want to live there forever, you can. This is going to be such a psychotic answer, but um, it would be the... I would like to visit the cinematic universe of Barbara Streisand's Hello, Dolly. That's such a good answer. The outfits, would... the choreo, the set design. Like, it's, I just feel like it would be a very rich world to inhabit. And because it was like one of the last bigger budget musicals, like there are so many extras. So it's like a world with like a lot of other stuff going on in it. Like you could explore a lot, like the sets are really complex. So I feel like that would be like a really fun. Now, I don't know that I would want to live in it, but I would definitely visit it. Like take two weeks off work, go. Put on my Sunday clothes and yes. <laughs> with everybody in uh, the Hello Dolly Barbara Streisand version universe. Yes, that sounds like so much fun. Question four. This is the Christopher Hitchens question of the living villains of history. And as a journalist, you need this question of the living villains of history. Whose obituary would you most like to write? Uh, and I asked this, it's in mortality when he realized he was going to die. He's like, I really look forward. Actually, one of the things he says, I really looked forward to reading Henry Kissinger's obituary. And he says, wait, I wanted to write that. Yes. God. So and uh, of Living villains. There are just so many of them. I feel like I would love to write... The obituary um of one bb netanyahu yeah um because that motherfucker is a clown on so many levels and his obituary would be so embarrassing because the public perception of him ignores the fact that he's just like cosplaying as an identity that like he like that's not his birth name he wasn't born in israel like there's just like so much to it um it would just be so fucking fun to take to take him down yeah yeah and he's ugly and i would get that in there <laughs> yeah and you know he's uh, he's been around since the 90s i remember him being on tv in my right wing oh this guy's good he speaks good english i like him and i was like man no no <laughs> so you, i mean so imagine like if like Trump has been around, well, I mean, as an elected official, yes. not as a cartoon character. 
yes. for like the. I mean, he's been around as a cartoon character my entire life, right? But as like he was president for a while, and then he wasn't, and he's back again, and he's out again, and yeah, you know, it looked like his government was falling apart for like two weeks, and then oh no, you know, never mind the bribery scandal. Yeah, you know, oh man. So I needed to end on something positive. Of course. So question five. What mundane daily activity gives you the most joy? Oh, I love little mundane daily activities. So this is um, going to honestly be the hardest one because there are things that I do every day that bring me great joy. Okay, the one that I do every day that is like such a part of my ritual is like the first coffee of the day. Oh, yes. So like on a day off, it's like I am taking my time. I'm going to make like a little like mocha pot Americano or like espresso drink. Um, or I'm like waiting. I'm, thinking my little thoughts while I wait for the French press to steep um like that little calm ritual and then like how even like everywhere I work like I get to work early because the bus schedule so if I'm like at the cafe for pigeon I'm like I'm like usually it's just me and one other person it's just like chill and I'm just like my first task of the day is like putting on a pot of coffee um but I will say the wild card mundane activity that i don't do every day but when i do it it's the best thing i've ever done is send a package at the post office <laughs> like i just mailed out two mixtapes and let me tell you the level of serotonin i got slapping that sticker on there and dropping it in the box was like depression who <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know, and let's face it, is like the post office the last American thing left to believe in? It kind of is. That and libraries, but I guess you, I like, I don't think libraries are that. They're more like they've been around forever. So they're not a very American, distinctly American thing. Yeah. thing. In but fact, it's still they're like kind the public of not. thing. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's still like your tax house. You know what the other thing I've been getting into lately is National Weather Service weather radio. Oh my God. Yeah, that there is a special and you need a special radio to get it. But there is a, in fact, I'm going to probably do something illegal here in a minute here. I am going to turn this on and we get content matched or not. That's just all the time. Wow. And that's the National Weather Service. And there's a robot that will read you the weather. And you just press a button on a radio. And the robot will read you the weather. Wow. And that's your tax dollars at work. That's like your tax dollars not blowing something up. I would love more of that. More robot voices reading weather, more yeah. like like that kind of shit. Because that's a, I feel like that is the thing, right? Like whenever I'm like looking out at the world and I'm like, oh my god, what what are things that we can hold on to hope for? I'm like, 
yes, my tax dollars, like some of them went to this library that I'm picking my books up at, like that rocks. And like the wet national weather service, like that rocks, like, yeah. you know, like I'm, I'm like, it's stuff like that where I'm like, oh, this is so sick. And then I'm like, damn, what if you could actually pick what your taxes went towards? That would be so lit. I wouldn't be mad about taxes ever again. Yeah, I know, right? If you could allocate, like you just get your pay stub and go, ooh, in it. Well, 100%, yeah. 50%, 40%, 20%, military 0%. Like, you know what I mean? Like, would, wouldn't that be great? Listen, well, the Pentagon, like, lost, like, they lost, like, a bazillion dollars every year that they can't account for. So certainly they can find it, right? Yeah, they can get it back. I'm, like, imagining it as, like, the Pentagon, like, misplacing, like, $5 billion as if it's, like, me when I forget I put tip money in, like, my pocket and I, like, find it before I do my laundry. Oh, my God, I'm rich again. Yeah. Is there anything else that you do that we forgot? in the episode i think that i think that that's legitimately it i think that we got to all, all right. of the things wonderful so i think that's about it our next episode will eventually happen and tell me about somebody with something with somebody i, I actually i do know this, but i'm not gonna say our homepage where you can find new and old episodes is gonna die podcast.com uh we're also on apple podcast spotify Google Podcast is going away. At some point, we'll be on, I hope, the YouTube podcast thing. And I don't know what else we're on, like, because everything's changing, but I know we're on Spotify and Apple. Uh, follow us. Actually, no, I got to take this out. Uh, yeah, we have a we have that that social media platform that used to be the Bird account. I have not updated in months. I'm just cyber squatting my own identity at this point <laughs> on that platform. Uh, and we're on we're on Facebook. That's the one thing we got left. So your boomer parents and grandparents can find out about us. Special thanks to Andrew Fox for our lovely theme music. And thank you so much, Jim, for doing this. Thank you this for having me. Pleasure. This was a delight. Yes, and let's and let's do this again. Let's do some band podcasts. Let's get let's cram Larval State into my library and we'll do it. That yeah, would be a dream. All, come all true. of it, big baby and positing. Let's do it all. Let's do it all, everybody. I'll be back three times over, y'all. You watch it. You better. <laughs> all right. Later, meets. Ah!